This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, November 10th. Coming up, we'll hear why parents might be more reluctant to get their kids vaccinated against COVID-19, even if they're vaccinated themselves. But first, some headlines. Prosecutors finished putting on their case yesterday in the trial of a Kansas City police officer charged with involuntary manslaughter in the fatal shooting of Cameron Lamb in 2019. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Prosecutors called 10 witnesses to the stand, eight of them members of the Kansas City Police Department, who responded to an officer assist call after Eric DeValconier fired into a truck Lamb was backing into his garage, fatally wounding him. A gun was found on the garage floor underneath Lamb's lifeless left arm, and prosecutors have intimated police planted it there. One of the two non-police witnesses they called was Roberta Merritt, who shared the house with Lamb. She testified that on the morning of the fatal shooting, she had seen Lamb's gun on a staircase that led down to the garage. But an attorney for DeValconier noted that in three separate statements Merritt gave to detectives and lawyers on the day of the shooting, 11 days later, and a month later, she made no mention of a gun on the staircase. Emotions ran high yesterday in the innocence hearing of Kevin Strickland. The Missouri Attorney General's office questioned witnesses about the wishes of a woman who survived the triple murder for which Strickland was imprisoned. KCUR's Luke Martin reports Cynthia Douglas died in 2015, but her family spoke for her yesterday. Kevin Strickland's conviction hinged on Douglas's eyewitness testimony, but before her death, Douglas told family and friends that she had misidentified Strickland 43 years ago. The Missouri Attorney General's lawyers questioned Douglas's sister and ex-husband. The lawyers suggested that what the witnesses have to say about Douglas's recantation is only hearsay. In phone calls that were played for the court, Douglas was conflicted about helping Strickland. But witnesses Ronald Richardson and Cecile Simmons said that Douglas told them she felt pressure from police and prosecutors at the time to identify the wrong man. Both said they're testifying to make good on something that haunted Douglas for decades. Members of the majority white Seaman School Board in Topeka have voted to condemn the district's namesake, Fred Seaman, but they stopped short of doing what many students asked for, changing the district's name. Seaman was the leader of the Topeka Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s. High school senior Kevin Nguyen said other students have repeatedly subjected him to racist language. He said the district has to address racism, starting by dropping the KKK leader's name. If we can't even discipline a Klansman, then how do we discipline racism at our school? The 4,000 student district is mostly white. Most parents who participated in a survey wanted to keep the name. A Kansas legislative committee is working on a bill to make it easier for people to get religious and medical exemptions to federal COVID vaccine mandates. Republican leaders want to convene a special session later this month to put it to a vote. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports. Republicans on the committee want to make it illegal for employers to question the sincerity of Kansans who request religious exemptions to vaccine mandates. Republican Ty Masterson is president of the Kansas Senate. The core of what we're trying to get to is the protection of someone's fundamental First Amendment rights. Representative Vic Miller, one of three Democrats on the 11-member panel, is concerned the no-questions-asked approach would violate federal rules and make the mandates unenforceable. If I'm reading it right, loophole would be the appropriate term. It looks like uh, anything goes. GOP leaders will need the signatures of two-thirds of House and Senate members to force Democratic Governor Laura Kelly to call a special session. 
Coming up, we'll talk to a statistician in the Kansas City Health Department about the current state of COVID and vaccine hesitancy among parents in our region. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, UMB always puts your interests first. UMB's registered advisors are fiduciaries, so that means they are legally and ethically required to only recommend investments that are the best fit for your individual circumstances. UMB provides one-on-one guidance to help you make savvy financial choices on your wealth-building journey. Tap into high-touch financial planning services so you can earn, grow, and create the life you want. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Vaccine hesitancy has been one barrier to achieving herd immunity from COVID-19 in the U.S. And now that the COVID vaccine is available for children ages 5 to 11, the question arises of how many parents will hesitate to get their kids vaccinated. Alex Francisco is someone who's studied this question. In 2018, at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, he finished a PhD dissertation on vaccine hesitancy in parents. He's now a statistician working primarily on COVID numbers at the Kansas City Health Department. And he's here with me over Zoom. Hi, Alex. Hi, Nomeen. So where do the current COVID numbers stand in Kansas City? Do we know whether we'll see another surge in cases like we did last fall and winter? It's very difficult uh, to predict you know, where things will go. Um, We've had a real significant decrease since we instituted the last mask mandate um, back in August um, after we experienced, you know, an exponential increase in cases. Um, You know, week by week, it's really, really hard to tell. We have small fluctuations and you, you can't really determine whether those are random or those are patterns until unfortunately you have several weeks worth of data. Uh, and by then it's usually too late because uh, the way that COVID works and the way that it circulates, essentially we're always two weeks behind. Um, it takes up to 14 days to actually show positive results in certain cases. And so um, where we're at now, we have uh, our seven day case rate is about 91 per 100,000 residents. Um, That puts us just below the risk, uh, the high risk threshold from the CDC guidance. Uh, And we have increased slightly over the last two weeks. Uh, But again, it's really difficult to say whether or not that's going to increase over time into the fall uh, like we like we saw last winter or not. How does that compare to a couple of months ago when we were in the middle of a surge of the Delta variant? Yeah, a couple of months ago, we peaked up at about 1,600 cases in a single week. Um, you know, that, that case rate is about 350 to 380 per 100K. And so we are significantly lower. You know, we were exceeding the high risk threshold by three, three and a half times at that point. And so, you know, it it does look promising. And up until two weeks ago, we had been uh, steadily decreasing each week. The citywide mask mandate has ended as of uh, last Thursday. And so it's really up to uh, the residents to engage in those sort of behavioral mitigation factors uh, in the absence of a higher vaccination rate. 
So the COVID vaccine was just recently made available to children ages 5 to 11, and our region is still behind the national average when it comes to being vaccinated against COVID. Do we know whether that means a smaller proportion of kids 5 to 11 will end up being vaccinated in our area? There are a lot of factors that come into play. People are generally more willing to be risky with themselves than they are with their children. And so uh, even parents who are fully confident in the vaccine for themselves uh, may be hesitant to vaccinate their children. So my guess would be um, that we will see a smaller proportion, maybe relative to the rest of the country, that's in line with our uh, citywide vaccination rate that is also lower than the rest of the country. Um, But we're doing everything we can here at the department to at least encourage those folks to get vaccinated. And, uh, you know, any any questions or anything like that, we're always uh, open to answering them for for folks who have those questions. What else makes people hesitant to get their kids vaccinated? You know, a lot of these decisions are uh, driven by uncertainty, even vaccines that aren't for novel diseases that uh, sprang up within the last few years can cause some some distress in parents because these aren't things that we're used to dealing with. Um, and the COVID vaccine in particular, you know, there are a lot of various factors involved, the timeline, the new technology that gets referenced a lot, the mRNA technology, all of these things increase the the level of uncertainty that that, um, parents may have. So what has worked in the past to convince skeptical people to either get vaccinated themselves or get their kids vaccinated against other diseases? It's a really good question and it's a difficult procedure. If you really boil down to what what you're trying to do, if if you're trying to convince somebody to change their attitude about something, if they have a, a belief that this vaccine can cause harm or, uh, you know, they have a certain attitude toward science, um, you know, the government in general, especially with the COVID vaccine, that's kind of a, a more salient concern than, than previous vaccines. Uh, number one reason why people haven't been vaccinated up to this point is just going to be either time or effort. And at this point, you know, anything that we can do to reduce that time and effort commitment is going to have a much higher impact on the vaccination process. Has the pandemic changed how people have responded to these strategies at all? Is, is there something unique about COVID that would make people more hesitant? You know, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. I do just think that a lot of the hesitancy, in, in, my, in my opinion, is driven by the, the increased uncertainty um, around the pandemic. And a lot of, you know, a lot of those, um, a lot of the features of the pandemic that increased uncertainty are sort of inherent to the process. You know, we were learning about COVID as it unfolded. And unfortunately, what that means is that you're going to hear scientists say things and then say things that disagree with the things that they said earlier. And unfortunately, anytime that occurs, that's just going to increase the the amount of uncertainty that people are experiencing. So has the health department been visiting schools now that the vaccine is available to younger kids? Or or have you been bringing, you know, vaccines to neighborhoods and and things like that and and the other strategies that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so we do have our uh, uh, clinics 
placed in a strategic location. So, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the lowest vaccination rates right now are in the southeast corridor of the city, and we have permanent locations uh, in in some of the areas with the lowest vaccination rates. We haven't yet uh, gone out to schools. Um, we received our first shipment of the five to eleven year old doses today. And so uh, we're eagerly awaiting partnerships to to get those out into the community. Uh, but really, it is about identifying geographically where some of these uh, low vaccination rate areas are. And we haven't gone into neighborhoods, but you know we do the best that we can with the resources that we have by placing uh, placing our clinics in these areas at least as close as possible to some of these uh, pockets where vaccination rates are rather low. So when the health department has encountered vaccine-hesitant people, do you ask them where they're getting their information from? One of the challenges in particular for uh, us at the health department is, you know, if somebody's hesitant about the vaccine, it's kind of hard to get in a, a hold of them. Um, one, of the, one of the hallmarks, especially of this most recent surge, is uh, individuals who test positive for COVID are um, really starting to become a little more combative, a little less compliant with our investigators. Uh, so whenever, you know, by, by state law, um, we follow up with every positive case uh, that we can, and uh, we call these individuals or email them uh, to gather some more information and do our, our best efforts in contact tracing. And a lot of these folks are starting to be more uh, reluctant to share information with us. And that really does go for uh, some of the hesitant individuals as well. Um, you know, when we have had focus groups, uh, we ask about what does make you hesitant? Where do you get your information? And uh, there have been national surveys as well where a lot of the a lot of the vaccine um, misinformation is coming from Facebook, but you know that I don't know if there's been any real rigorous studies into some of the sources of those uh, misperceptions. And what have those people said in the focus groups about what would convince them to get vaccinated? I think the last study that I saw said that it, it's possible that 15% of folks who are hesitant are actually just afraid of needles. And so being willing to go to a, an appointment with someone and sit with them while they have their uh, have their vaccination administered, um, you know, maybe all that it takes uh, when it comes to some of the more attitudes and beliefs, you know, the first step is going to be to try to understand why they have those attitudes and why they have those beliefs. Alex Francisco is a statistician at the Kansas City Health Department. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Sumi. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia dean This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local stories, visit our website, kcur.org, where you can also find our live stream. You can also hear Kansas City's NPR station on your radio at 89.3 FM. If you like our show, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.